This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese and really excited to be joined tonight by my two guys, Mr. Macaraccio and Jeff Abercrombie. Guys, how are you doing this evening? We are streaming live on YouTube for episode 504 tonight. I am excited to have both of you here across the board from me. Well, Paul, I'll just jump in and just say you, you go to 500 and all of a sudden it's like everything just changes, right? I mean, like all of a sudden we go to episode 500 and we're like doing everything with segments. And now we're going live. I mean, there's just oodles oodles of change happening. I hope everybody in the audience that's listening can feel feel the the streams and the waves of change. Get ready people. Get on your surfboards. Here we go. This the next 500 episodes are going to be fun. Jeff, how well, you we doing? We finally tonight? got a full house too. Yeah, I mean, we finally got a full house. We're all here. I I mean, we we catch up individually all the time, but just to to chop it up together. Um it's a good start to the year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, how we kind of are going to look at it tonight is just kind of like a rookie class check-in. I feel like there's a lot of things to be talking about, about these 2020 rookie class. And here at Saturday, Sunday, you know, we kind of covered the the draft and the post-draft for, for quite some time. And I know, you know, we had on a great guest last week talking IDP. Kyle was, uh, Belly Fuel was with us. And I know I got some really exciting guests lined up already for the next coming weeks. And looking forward to it before we kind of turn the page to like the summer seminar series that Matt's bringing back this year. Jeff and I talking about our overall dynasty ranks. And then we finally turn the page to the next wave, the next draft class before college football season kicks off with our preview shows. But there's so much to dissect and talk about. So how we're going to talk about it tonight is we're going to basically break down the show into three parts. We're going to talk a little bit about you know, some stock up, stock down based on some current NFL news, based on OTAs and mini camps. Second, we're going to talk a little bit about some trends that we've seen in our own rookie drafts and kind of a little bit more universal. Maybe some people are drafting late. I know I still have a handful of rookie drafts that have not taken place yet that are a little bit later uh, in June and early July. And then also just some of our favorite rookies in terms of scheme fits, in terms of where they landed so why don't we get right into it and I think the first thing that I want to talk about is Terry McLaurin is continuing to miss time they seem to be far apart in their contract disputes and discussions we've seen major stars at the wide receiver position be traded this offseason I know Ron Rivera is coming out and saying they're not trading Terry McLaurin you know but Mike Vrabel once said A.J. Brown's not being traded as long as I'm still the coach here. Well, he's still the coach there, and A.J. Brown was traded. So I don't really know that, you know, Ron Rivera has much say in whether or not Terry McLaurin gets ends up getting traded. But I think with all this Terry McLaurin news, it's got to be stock up on Jahad Dotson right now. I think he's one of the guys right now after rookie minicamps and OTAs who's seen his stock go up. I think a couple other guys, and then I'll kind of throw it over to you guys, Michael Thomas, I mean, it's been like two years before we've seen since we've seen him be a dominant receiver. There still seems to be some uncertainty with the injury. Will he be full go when training camp opens up? So even though they brought in Jarvis Landry there, I think Chris Olave stock up. 
Another injury situation. Michael Gallup doesn't seem like he's anywhere close to being ready. Obviously, they brought him back after they traded Amari Cooper, but I think that's going to give Jalen Tolbert a real opportunity early in training camp and maybe even the regular season to see significant snaps. There's been some reports out there from Pittsburgh beat writers that there's a lot of thought out there in Pittsburgh that the drafting of the wide receivers this year was all about them not feeling comfortable signing Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool to major money next offseason. So I think a little bit from if, you, if you're if you buying into that Pittsburgh beat reporter talk, I think a little bit of a stock up uh, on, on George Pickens. So why don't we – I don't want to go too far – Dotson, Olave, Tolbert, Pickens, Jeff, let me bring it over to you first. And anywhere you want to go uh, with, with those names in terms of some thoughts. Well, my my biggest one is is Dotson because I thought even with Terry McLaurin there, they could coexist really well. Um, I still think we'll probably more likely than not see, um, you know, see, see them all there together. Um but being able to get uh, quality reps uh, with the first team and, and just kind of work a little bit on his craft, um, hone that in without, you know, having to, to share the spotlight quite as much, I think is, I mean, that's valuable, right? It, it's a big transition and, and getting those reps, I, I think actually plays a big role in how well they transition. You know, I think we mentioned that when we start, talked into our rookie rankings on, you know, who's going to have opportunity. Um, so I think that that's, that's valuable in my eyes. I, I a little bit blind cause he's been a favorite of mine anyways. So it's kind of like, you know, you latch onto the news that you want to hear when it's, it's one of your favorite players coming through. But um, so, so from a, you know, from a Dawson standpoint, um, I'm really excited about that. It's the same thing with Olave. Um, again, a lot of questions. I still think, at the end of the day, we'll see everybody out there together, but, um, but it's the same story, right? Getting all those practice reps. Um, I think it's kind of straight down the list, especially if we, you know, just, we could keep talking, you know, Tolbert too. Right. But I'll let Matt chime in and say, uh, you know, see what he has to say on some of these guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Dotson is clearly, you guys kind of said everything you needed to say about Dotson and I, there's really not much more to add, but Alave, I think, is a player that I was extremely excited for. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely biased as a Michael Thomas owner. You know, I felt like there was just magic, you know, always when he was on the field. And we can go into how he's, you know, captain slant route all we want. But the man ran a great slant route. And it worked very well. And him and Drew Brees did very well together. And now, you know, it's been eons since I've seen him on the field. And I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that I'm, as a, as a Michael Thomas owner, because I honestly can't get much for him. Um, I was hoping to capitalize on any depressed value that Olave might experience as a result of his presence being known. And he is neither known, nor is he even on the field right now. And believe it or not, as a selfish dynasty owner, I am actually very okay with Olave, you know, you know, kind of um, getting all the attention, but also, you know, maybe not garnering the lion's share of attention quite yet because he's still looming underneath the shadow of Michael Thomas's eventual presence. So I guess long story short, Olave is a player that I think you could still have. It's going to be a first round pick, but I think you could still have him in the second half of the first round in picks 
you know, eight through 12, you might be able to get him. Maybe he goes top five, but I don't think so. Um, it'll be just outside of that. And I think he's a great value. And I think his long-term viability in the league is excellent because of the skill set he possesses. And I think we've talked about that at nauseum. So I won't rehash that. But I do think you're getting a dependable pick, you know, in Olave because of the type of wide receiver he is, not because of anything else. So I, I'm all I'm all ready to go on Olave, but that that's not my favorite. And I know later in the show we'll be talking about favorites, but I have a favorite. I have a favorite. If you watched episode 500, you probably already know favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I know a lot of people thought maybe the Jarvis Landry signing was going to impact Olave. I think it was more of just, A, they needed a third wide receiver. And I think it's more that if insurance for Michael Thomas in terms of whether or not he's fully ready to go. I mean, to me, Michael Thomas and and Jarvis Landry occupy more of a similar space on the field as best probably inside in the slot than where Chris Olave is going to play. Olave is going to be an outside wide receiver for that. I mean, he's got some inside outside versatility, but based on the Saints and, and, you know, I think he's going to be mostly outside, especially with Landry and if Michael Thomas is healthy. So that's going to be really interesting. And, you know, we talked about Dotson. I'm a big fan of Dotson. He's going to come up a little bit later as well when we get to some rookie trends. So I'll save some more thoughts there. Uh, a couple other guys who I think stock up a little bit from OTAs and minicamp. A uh, couple giants, you know, that I, that I and one of them will probably talk about a couple times tonight. But, you know, Wanda Robinson has been seeing basically almost all of the first team reps with the Giants first unit. Uh, besides Saquon Barkley, I think he's probably gotten more praise than any of the offensive skill players for the Giants. Shep's going to miss the first month of the year uh, due to the torn Achilles tendon, maybe more. Uh, Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony are both still in red jerseys. It came out that Kadarius Tony, you know, had a uh, procedure on his knee. Galladay still, you know, always seems to be something going on injury there. So Robinson has definitely been a star of the Giants rookie minicamp and OTAs. And then also teammate Daniel Bellinger, who a fourth round pick wasn't utilized a lot in the past game in terms of at San Diego State but a guy who tested out really well athletically compared to maybe I think what people thought. I know people like Daniel Jeremiah and others don't really highly of Daniel Bellinger and the giants don't have much there. And it's been very surprising for someone like myself, who's got the pulse on all things giants to hear that he's basically a fourth round tight end has basically been mostly getting all of the first team reps ahead of Ricky Seals Jones ahead of Jordan Aikens. They signed both of those veterans in free agency. So I think it's got to be right now a little bit of a stock up. We know tight end is not an easy position to make the transition, but Bellinger possibly could be the opening day starting tight end. I think they envision a little bit of like their version of Dawson Knox maybe, and it might take them some time, but they're going to throw him out there. So I think stock up on him, uh, what Wondell Robinson's been getting in terms of usage and using them all different ways. And then one last guy I think stock up on is uh, Chig Okonkwo out of Tennessee. All the reports out of Tennessee said he's been one of the stars of the Titans rookie mini camps and OTAs. Been a lot of comments thrown out there. Delaney Walker, Jonu Smith. I think he's even more versatile than those guys. You got to really have a plan for him, but he's a guy who could really be a part 
you know, an intriguing offensive chess piece there. I'm excited to kind of see how they utilize him. I know they signed Austin Hooper this offseason, who's obviously going to be their starting tight end. But I think there's a place, maybe not for fantasy in year one, but I think there's a place for Oconquo to to have some real-life value. And then maybe a year down the line, if Hooper's not there anymore, maybe eventually be somewhat fantasy-relevant, especially if they're using him in a variety of ways. Uh, Jeff, any, any thoughts there on Robinson, Bellinger, Oconquo? I know Wandell is going to be a guy we talk about probably a couple times tonight in terms of you know the trends in, in rookie drafts and then also perfect scheme fits. Uh, but anything here in terms of just the opportunities been given so far based on the injuries and what's been taking place at OTAs? Yeah, my um, Wandale soapbox is right over here, ready to be used in a later segment. So we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I mean, I do like these. These tight ends are guys that I've been targeting um, because, you know, we we rank them as if we know. Or, okay, Dolchich, then uh, John Jelani Woods, like that's going to be a, a big one. K-Dot, like all of these guys, I mean, I think we like them a lot. But um, – you know, I, especially with the tight end position, I like to attack the uncertainty around it, um, sort of that arbitrage. And um, Bellinger is, again, just a, you know, a talented athlete that I think has the upside you ask for in, you know, a fantasy tight end. And he has the opportunity, you know, like, I, I don't think it's that shocking that he's, you know, running ahead of Ricky Seals-Jones because Ricky Seals-Jones is, I mean, you know, would I have been surprised if it was if he was if Ricky Seals Jones was on the first first you know string line? I no, I wouldn't. But um, but he's that he's the guy who's been a good backup, right? Who, who's kind of been able to step in. And I think um, the fact that Bellinger is is taking this opportunity um, and and the coaching staff is giving it to him, right? That they're they're willing to be open um, to seeing what he can do, not just kind of sprinkling in with his reps but but really just as a focal point of growth this offseason i think that's amazing um so so i really like bellinger and and oconquo as well right um another one that you know when we talked about our rookie rankings you know excited for what he could do you know the the one question between the two of them um you know an offense doesn't necessarily need to feature a tight end, right? And I'm not sure we're at the point where the Giants offense is going to feature a tight end as a target the same way um, the Titans will. Uh, you know, that's always been a part of, of that scheme, um, especially when it's running well. So I, I think uh, if Okonkwo can be the rookie that, you know, seizes that opportunity, he might have the better stats this year. Yeah, I mean, Matt, before I kick it over to you, I think the, the thing with the Giants guys is I think they could bring in year one more on-field value, and we may it may take some time, whether that's Kenny Galladay not being there, whether Sterling Shepard officially not being there. I think Wandell's going to have some spiked weeks because when he makes a big play and you combine that to the different ways they're going to utilize him. So, like, to me, Wandell Robinson is more – you know, a guy who I'm intrigued with for best ball, maybe a last pick or two in a best ball setting for this year. Obviously, I love him in a dynasty setting because I do think he could be a guy who could be an 85-90 catch guy, utilized in a variety of ways as well. Uh, and Bellinger is a guy that even if he starts, I don't think we're going to see a lot of fantasy value early on, similar to Dawson Knox, but he's got the he's got the athletic traits 
And then he he could be a guy that they're grooming and maybe down the line. So when you have those deeper leagues where you can store a guy on a taxi squad or something like that, I'm really intrigued by Bellinger and then Oconquo. Uh Matt, let me bring it over to you because I know you just said you you watched him Oconquo recently uh, to kind of get a feel for his game. Any thoughts on Oconquo or anything with Bellinger or Wandell? I know Wandell's going to be a guy that we're going to kind of hit on in almost probably each of the segments tonight if you want to hold off on Wandell. But any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to just – I'm going to take it just from quick, quickly two perspectives to kind of echo the same points that um, that Jeff did. I mean, I, I would honestly say that we, we've we talked about a lot here at Saturday Sunday. I think one of the things that, that – I don't want to say we pride ourselves on because I know a lot of people in the industry feel the same way – but I think it's something that we definitely um, celebrate and speak very highly of as part of our process, which is adaptability. And I think when it comes to being adaptable, it comes to this understanding that you understand a major component to success or performance on the field is going to be the opportunities that lay before the prospect. Without opportunity, there really is no way for them to begin to garner the favor needed for them to be regular contributors on a week-by-week basis. So I think when it comes to tight end specifically, because of the nature of the position in terms of the depth of contribution that they're expected to make from a blocker, both in the run game, as well as a pass catcher, I think the minute you see a new coaching staff coming into a team and being willing to uh, explore the use of their rookies as the Giants are doing with such great interest, I think you have to begin to adapt and pounce on the players that are receiving the opportunities in OTAs. Now that doesn't mean every time a guy gets a rep in an OTA, you should be drafting them. Obviously this is very team specific and team dependent, but Bellinger should be a a guy that's on your list that is superseding in terms of even the best players at the position in terms of the rookies. You might be jacking him up a couple notches just because of what Paul said, which is opportunity and a Conquo. I mean, having watched him now, there's a lot of versatility to his game. I mean, he's a 6'3", you know, 240-plus athlete that I'm going to be honest with you. I watched him, um, and the feelings I got was, man, he moves really well in space with the ball in his hands. Um, he has good he has good agility in the open field. I found that he has a really good feel for the types of gaps that are presented to him. So he sees the passability between gaps and defenders a lot differently than a gentleman that you might think of at the position. You know, you typically think of a a tight end as being a dominant kind of King Kong Godzilla stomp on the pedestrians on the floor type of, you know, kind of feel. But we've seen over time, the position has changed. And I think, to be honest with you, I think Okonkwo is along the upper echelon of that curve of being able to move with the ball in his hands. I see him as a weapon in the open field or running back. That's massive. I mean, this is not to not to take a moment and say Najee Harris is amazing, but Najee Harris is amazing because he weighs the same as the same height and he moves equally as well. But I see in Oconquo that same type of ability in terms of the open field, that elusiveness. He was used a lot on tight end sweeps, and you can see it in terms of what he can do. So I picked up Oconquo in every league that I had the capability of doing it. Um, he's on the bench. I'm, I know he's going to sit there. Um, and I want to see how the rest of camp breaks down Bellinger. I already had drafted in several leagues, um, just by virtue of the fact that I knew the tight end position was open 
And that alone is what makes me intrigued because I think Brian Dable is going to be looking at this as a, let's see what ingredients we have in the cupboard. Let's see what we got, you know? And I think he's going to treat the season like that. And knowing the relationship he has with his GM, I think he's going to be afforded the opportunity to do that with complete and utter, you know, with utter just like favoritism and regard. He could do whatever he wants. And I think that's what you want to do is jump on the players that he's locking into early. That Bellinger sounds like a player he's locking into right now. Yeah, and I think what's really intriguing about these guys is we know the tight ends, the rookie tight ends, it wasn't ideal landing spots, right? I mean, it just wasn't, right? Trey McBride goes to Arizona. They just signed Zach Ertz to a new three-year deal. He's probably going to be there for at least two years. Like Greg Dulcich goes to Denver. Albert Okawebenam has been a guy who people are very high on. Uh, in the, the Colts bring back Mo Ali Cox. They draft Jelani Woods. The Jets go out and sign two guys in free agency that are that are functional to you know potentially starting tight ends. Jeremy Ruckert ends up in there. You know, K. Dodden goes to Tampa Bay. How many is Gronk going to be there for one year? If Brady plays two, is he going to be there for two? I mean, so it's like those are the first five guys that most people thought of at the tight end position. Charlie Kolar and Isaiah Likely end up going to Baltimore behind Mark Andrews. So then you look at a guy like Chigo Conquo and Daniel Bellinger, and you can make the case that, yeah, I know Austin Hooper's there, but I, I feel like they're going to have a different plan for a guy like Conquo as part of the, the way to manufacture some offense with A.J. Brown gone. And then the opening for Daniel Bellinger, they're two of the guys that I think their landing spots are, are pretty pristine compared to the, the rest of the rookie tight end class. So, yeah, they weren't as highly talented and they went in the fourth round instead of round two and three like some of the other guys. I get all that. And I'm not saying they should go ahead of those guys in rookie drafts, but I I do think the intrigue of them that they could be contributors earlier than maybe we are used to seeing based on the landing spot. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of follow both of those guys. If this group that we just talked about is kind of the guys who we think news or reports are trending up, I do think there's a three that are kind of trending the other way that I kind of want to bring up and kind of shoot this over to Jeff first and then over to Matt. One reports out of Pittsburgh are saying it's really Kenny Pickett is not really in an open competition that Mitch Mitchell Trubisky is clearly the guy right now, whether that changes, you know, whether it's for week one or week two, who knows, but you know, it wasn't like they had an established guy there or a guy who had been in the building for long. So to see that was kind of a little alarming and surprising. So I think for people who thought that, you know, Pickett was a lock to start the year right away. That's that's been a little bit, you know, eye awakening. And then Traylon Burks just hasn't been uh, playing much with missing OTAs. Uh, he's hasn't been able to get on the field much. There's been some. Uh, they mentioned that his asthma has maybe been keeping him off the field and some other things. And when he's been on the field, he's had some drop issues and he's missed some practices and. You know, he just hasn't really been on the field at much at all between rookie mini camps and OTAs. Uh, so that's a little alarming. I mean, I know as a Giants fan last year, that was kind of a situation with Ken, uh, Kadarius Tony didn't impact whether or not once he actually got on the field an opportunity during the year to perform, but it was just a lot of stuff in the in the OTAs and mini camps that kept Tony off the field. Traylon Burks is going to be expected to have a big role early on. Uh, so you don't like to see that. And then not maybe as much of, as a degree of Pickett or Burks, but Sky Moore has missed a bunch of time uh, with the Chiefs with a hamstring injury. 
coming from a smaller school, you know, was the 13th wide receiver taken when a lot of people thought he was going to be higher. There's been reports that the Chiefs wanted Wondell Robinson and, and Sky Moore was more of a backup plan. And I don't know what to make of that. I know people love Sky Moore and he's going That's really, really high in rookie ball. drafts. Uh, but they went out and signed MVS. They went out and signed Juju. There's some people that think this might be finally an opportunity for Michael Hardman because they they always looked at him as like a direct like Tyree Kill backup, and now that Tyree Kill's not there, so there's just enough news around Sky Moore to at least mention him in this. I, I don't think it's anything too alarming, but I, I thought missing time with a hamstring injury. Hamstring injuries are always tricky for wide receivers, uh, and then and then some of the, the other news that was out there. Jeff, any thoughts on? The Traylon Burke situation, Kenny Pickett seeming like he's not really in a competition to start week one, uh, and then Sky Moore, you know, right now a little bit behind on, on that depth chart. Yeah, and, you know, I think as we talk through, you know, walking into this segment, you know, one of the things I mentioned is, I, you know, I don't keep so tight a beat on these things because I don't really consider it, you know, anything that's going to shake my opinion on these players one way or another. Um, I mean, again, it's, it's Matt and I had some really good chuckles about people overreacting to Jamar Chase talking about the different football last year, right? And um, <laughs> we, we were just talking about like, oh man, who you know, would you get him for this week, right? You know, buy lows, buy lows, right? I mean, it just, um, you know, there is a difference in NFL conditioning, right? NFL practices, like that, that's a step up. You know, we're going to see that. And we're going to see that for some players and, and some players, you know, will have it. Some players won't. You know, everybody's going to experience a different path. You know, it's a, you know, pick it, same sort of thing, right? Um, just a little bit of patience, right? It's the quarterback position. I, I, I don't think you're going to, you know, I'd almost not believe it if someone said, oh, yeah, he stepped in day one and he's just, you know, got a mastery of the offense, right? Like that's not going to happen. Right. And if so, like, I think you're lying. You're some hype for the team. Right. Um, so when it comes to just, you know, Burke's picket, even sky Moore, it's, it's one of those ones where they're all staying where I have them ranked. Um, nobody's really falling. Um, they're all players that I wasn't the highest on to begin with, but you know, I, I think some people have high expectations, right? They every single rookie's gonna come in and crush it and produce from day one. And it's just um and it's just not quite the you know, the way that things, you know, typically land for these rookies. Yeah, I mean I, I'm gonna have to agree with you, Jeff. I mean, I think we we all kind of laughed at the idea of, you know, having Jamar Chase being questioned early on. And that was a, a big part of the discussions that we were having uh, last year. And I think that I think it's important. I think it's what it's important to do is it's important to begin to at least not guide our judgments as we move into the season, but at least kind of begin to shape what the opportunities for these players are as they approach the season, right? Like, Obviously, it's trending that Kenny Pickett's not the guy to start day one. That seems to be the comfort level, whether there's an implied kind of motivational element there or not. I think your point, Jeff, about the cognitive load and the physical load that goes into an NFL training camp 
it's gonna be different than college. I mean, you're not going back to your dorm room, hanging out with your buddies and just, you know, chilling out for the rest of the day. Like this is now your job. And there's pressure, anxiety, intensity that goes with those types of responsibilities. Your performance is quite literally, um, you know, impacting your future now in a major, major way. You know, I mean, yes, there's some solace that you're on a team and a roster is maybe assured to you in some respects, but I do think that these there's a tremendous cognitive and physical load basically because of intensity. And I think that those things don't, they're not mutually exclusive. They are tethered together and they do in fact impact each other. And I think we got to really be aware of that as we move into training camps, reading reports, looking at early usage, you know, an NFL playbook is not going to be the same as the playbook that they've been using for the last three years. Now, obviously that's not true in every case, but you get my drift that the intensity level, the pressure, the overall cognitive load that goes with their performance day in and day out is in some ways moving them around that depth chart in a very real time fashion. So there's got to be an acclimation period and there's tons of counseling and everything from players. And there's a whole lot of supports, but I think to your point, Jeff, just to pass it over to Paul, because Paul, I'd like to, to kind of, you know, maybe hear your thoughts finally, and then maybe transition over. But I think to, to your point, Jeff, though, I'd be surprised if these guys were completely perfect, not struggling, not finding anything. Cause then, th- then that tells me that there's nothing challenging them in camp. Well, what are we going to do? Wait till Sunday, game one, when suddenly they have guys challenging them. So you better hear that they're they're learning, they're growing, they're changing, they're having obstacles. And you want to hear those things because I think that's how you're going to get the performance that you want on Sunday. Um, so, Paul, what do you, I mean, just any final thoughts on these these ideas about where to kind of situate the stock of a, a player as we get these little tidbits for OTAs? before we kind of transition over into to trends? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of sit on the fence is that I, my interest is more peaked when I hear a lot of positive vibes early on than being overly concerned about this guy's not doing much yet. Because as you said, there is a development, there is a curve that's going to take. So I don't really, like, I'm not worried in the least bit about Traylon Burks right now. Like, that's not even on my radar Uh the injury to Sky Moore, not on my radar. A little concerned that maybe people are penciling him in for a really big role right out of the gate. I, I have my reservations about that because I, I do think people are kind of putting Valdez Scantling, Juju Smith, and Nicole Hardman off to the side and, and think it's just going to be this guy more show because people thought he was like wide receiver six, seven in this class. And then he ended up being wide receiver 13, but, but where the report about a hamstring injury to me is less of a concern. Uh, the Kenny Pickett one does surprise me a little bit because I thought maybe right out of the gate that it wasn't like Mitchell Trubisky had any like, firm ground there right it's not like he was there for the last year or two it's like he knew the playbook I mean he basically was there like a a month before you know Kenny Pickett and it's not like he he's been that successful in any way at the NFL level uh 
So that one maybe surprises me a tad, but again, so early. I think by the end of training camp, who knows, in preseason, he still can win that job. But I get more – I'm, I'm more in tune when a guy starts making a positive impression right off the bat than the negative ones because I think that's a good sign that they're already taking and there's already big plans. And when the guy's running with the ones this quickly, when, when coaches are usually very hesitant – about giving that to rookies and making them earn it. When the guys are already doing that, it, that does perk on my radar. I don't think it means you jump up a guy rounds in rookie drafts if you haven't had them yet or you overvalue them for redraft or best ball. But I do think it says something. And I think a guy like Bellinger is the perfect example of that, that I think if people do draft late in you know moving forward, you may see him tick up a little bit. Maybe he does go ahead of guys like Jeremy Ruckert or Kate Odd. And, and when rookie draft started the week right after the NFL draft, that was not happening in any drafts. So, so I think that maybe is the perfect segue to kind of transition into what we've seen in some of our own rookie drafts and, uh, and just kind of hearing what's out there and stuff like that, you know, so far in these dynasty rookie drafts and, you know, people who haven't drafted yet maybe can kind of, you know, take something from this. And, and and I think it's an interesting, you know, discussion point. If we stick to round one for a second, I, I think the thing that has surprised me the most, and then, and Jeff, I'll bring it over to you then, is we kind of mentioned them before. I think people, I don't know if it's pre-draft take or or overly worried about the situation and the quarterback but Jahan Dotson falling as far as he is in rookie drafts has been very, very surprising for me. I got to be honest with you. The more time has passed in draft weekend, I don't think there's a big difference between him and some of the guys ahead of him. I like Chris Olave a little bit better in terms of his natural talent, but I don't think Jahan, if, if Chris Olave sometimes is going like four or five or six in rookie drafts, I don't think Jahan Dotson should be in the 10 to 12 range. I think people are overselling the concern about the landing spot. And that's been something that has been resonating in every rookie draft that I've done. And there are plenty of people, film people too. You know, Greg Cosell at the top of the list. They think Jahan Dotson's a better player than Chris Olave. I don't think it's outrageous take. And he wins at the catch point, even at his size. He plays bigger than he's listed. We've seen guys around his height and frame be successful and have a major impact. So I don't think that should so much be a worry anymore. I'm just surprised. I mean, the draft capital is significant, higher than Traylon Burks, right there with the rest of the, the guys, you know, basically after Drake London and, and Garrett Wilson. So that's been my biggest surprise in round one. Any thoughts, Jeff, on Dotson or anything else you're seeing in round one that you think really is, is worth the discussion point? Yeah. Um, so Matt uh, talked about how he thought maybe Alave would, you know, come off as the fourth, fifth player off the board or wide receiver off the board or something like that. And, you know, I've sat in a couple drafts now and, you know, he's been the first wide receiver off the board or the third wide receiver off the board, which, I mean, I was ready to take him in that, you know, first, second wide receiver off the board myself. So I'm not going to knock it at all. I just thought that, you know, I'd be able to sit at the seventh pick in drafts and 
or eighth pick in drafts even and, and be able to, you know, scoop up what I think is a top, you know, three, four, five player in the draft. And and it's just not, that's not how it's come down for me yet. And, I, you know, I have one more to go. So hopefully that, but that's one thing that I've noted is, you know, what I expected to see and what, what sort of was reported out there from the early ADP just hasn't come you know, come to fruition in my drafts, you know, but what has is Jamison Williams has always been, you know, the guy kind of at the end of that first tier. And, and that's who I've always been in the position to take. And um, yeah. And, and Deshaun, uh, Jah- Jahan Dotson has been, you know, out of that first tier behind Sky Moore, behind Christian Watson, behind James Cook, um, you know, even sometimes a guy like Isaiah Spiller, right? Like, I, I'm not sure exactly what it is about Dotson that people can't get excited about. Um, you know, maybe it's Washington, but that's the only thing I could think of because, you know, I, I mean, he has his, he has a brilliant highlight tape. I mean, he's got a very refined game. He's got, you know, as Paul mentioned, just a lot of advocates within, you know, the scouting community and the NFL draft community that, advocate for him so I, I really just you know some some years there's the you know the sexy names and the guys that sort of just fall off the radar and, and I'm not really sure you know why the guy in sort of the end of my tier one is falling behind the maybe the exciting names in the top of tier two for me um so that's kind of the you know I think that that is an interesting one and the fact that you know I think just being able to get Jamison Williams, who um, could just even at the end of this year, just uh, completely just blow everyone out of the water and just say like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, this guy is that good, and he was that good, and he's translated that good." And all of these concerns about Detroit, Jared Goff, the injury, you know, whatever. He's he's clearly the best receiver, like. You know, you could get that at a at a. It's kind of, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Justin Jefferson, right? You know, a talented player that you know people kind of faded a little bit. Same thing with AJ Brown, talented pay player. People play faded for one reason or another, and just blows you away. <laughs> yeah, and Matt, before I bring it over to you, I just I think the Jameson Williams things is is staggering, and I have moved my top of my rankings a lot at the wide receiver position. And I, and I still continue to tinker and I didn't know if I was going to actually have to make a pick in any of my rookie drafts where it was going to force me to then go back and, and, and adjust my rankings to what I do live in a draft. About 24 hours ago, I made a trade in one of my leagues where I came up from 10 to number three. Now the draft hasn't started yet, but I'm going to be faced where I'm going to finally have to to put a pick to my rankings and then readjust my rankings. And there's a very strong likelihood that Jamison Williams could be my pick there at number three. It's a half PPR, so I think that caters a little bit more to Jamison Williams, who might not be that heavy, heavy target guy. But like the concerns about Detroit, to me, should be unwarranted. We just saw Jalen Waddle, who, yes, was a vertical player, change his game to satisfy what Tua could do last year. Jared Goff can do what Tua did last year for Jalen Waddell, and that's just a short-term fix as they eventually, down the line, find an heir apparent. What he could do maybe on the turf there. So 
I'm starting to to shift a little bit more back to Jamison Williams as as my number one wide receiver, possibly ahead of Drake London, ahead of Traylon Burks. I think people are over worried about the injury. And when you're making a dynasty rookie pick, yeah, it's not like he's out the year. He's probably going to play week one. He might just, maybe he's not a full snap guy week one or, you know. So I, I think we should be in this a little bit more for the long haul. And I think we're overvaluing situation a little bit and pushing Jamison Williams down the board. And I'm not really sure. I don't know if it's, he's a guy that was kind of a late bloomer and maybe it's too much of the draft Twitter and the analytics community kind of, you know, and the breakout age and stuff like that. That's kind of like having people reserved. But the truth of the matter is if he doesn't tear his ACL, he's the first wide receiver off the board. Probably he probably goes first. Uh, he obviously still didn't get lose much value because of the ACL. Uh, so it's, it's just interesting how that's kind of playing out. Matt, any thoughts on Dotson, Jamison Williams, before we kind of take this to some trends that we're seeing in round two? Well, yeah, and I actually just wanted to throw a little bit of a curveball out there in this discussion because it's a trend that I'm not really sure I understand, and it'll kind of be something that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but before I just address that, Dotson, I, I agree with you guys Absolutely wholeheartedly. I think he's his value is being depressed. Why? I think it has to do more with landing spot and the uncertainty of everything that's going on in terms of roster and depth chart and what's going down. Um, but I think to Paul's point, I think I take very close notice of dramatic moves to acquire as well. So there, what, what Washington did to acquire Jahan Dotson was a big move. Capital was moved, traded, and they moved up to get him. So it is purposeful. Now, was he going to be always the Robin to Terry McLaurin's Batman? Probably, but that doesn't mean he was going to be devout of targets or long-term viability at the position. So I don't understand the depressed value of him. Um, Jamison Williams, you know, I, I'm with you guys in terms of the value being depressed. I, I'm not ready to put him as the number one wide receiver. I still, I still think that Garrett, that Garrett Wilson is one of the most skilled receivers in the draft. I'm not ready to destroy, you know, to let him go. Um, quite yet, but I think that when you do factor in opportunity, you have to admit that the Detroit moniker historically has been a little bit of a blemish on people's outlooks on plot and prospects and what they could do. But they're creating levels of attack now. Now you have Amon Ross St. Brown, you bring in Jamison Williams, you have TJ Hawkinson, you have DeAndre Swift. You're talking about levels of attack, and I'm going to be honest with you, Jared Goff is very capable of using a variety of targets. He can do that. He sustained Robert Woods. He sustained Cooper Cup. He sustained Tyler Higby. We could argue he broke those guys out. And he actually was able to handle that rather easily. So I'm not ready to say, listen, Jared Goff is not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Patrick Mahomes. But he's a viable quarterback. And he went to a place that had nothing. Now they're building something. So the landing spot for Jamison Williams is not in the cards. The one I'll leave everybody with on a cliffhanger as we get into it a little bit later is I'm shocked, honestly, because this is my own personal preference. I'm shocked Christian Watson's going ahead of George Pickens. I, I just I just don't get that. I'm sorry. I, I mean, Christian Watson, the career, the trajectory, where he could go, I get the potentialities of his outcomes. I think George Pickens is still the best value right now, potentially in this draft. You may have to wait a year or two for that big season you all want, 
but I do think he might be one of the biggest values right now if you're getting him at 10, 12, 11 in the draft in the first round. There's no other alpha player in the first round that I think carries the ceiling that George Pickens does. I'm sorry. And I'll even tell you about that with Garrett Wilson. I love Garrett Wilson. George Wilson, if, if George Pickens hits his ceiling, Garrett who? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I think Christian Watson and, and Sky Moore are two really unique situations that it's it feels like nobody has reservations on them coming from a smaller school and not going up against big time competition. And it's just they landed in the pristine spots that we all wanted a wide receiver to go, right? Patrick Mahomes needed a new running mate with Tyree Kill gone. Aaron Rodgers needed a new running mate with Devontae Adams gone. But but I think especially for Valdez, uh, especially for Christian Watson, that Aaron Rodgers has not been a guy that has quickly gelled with rookies, let alone a rookie from a small level college that had a lot of drops in college. And you know, it's gonna be really interesting. It, it's it's your basin. He's a guy who seems like he could take a couple years, but I feel like people are penciling him in for a huge role year one. And in a couple years, is Aaron Rodgers even there? And then all of a sudden we're worried about that quarterback situation. But we're worried about Jared Goff, who's produced elite seasons with Brandon Cooks and is has been elite is has made Cooper Cup fantasy viable, maybe not at the level we just saw. I mean, look at the year Amon Ross St. Brown had. Like, why are we worried about Jared Goff in terms of making that that's a negative impact in terms of his wide receivers. I, I think we're overblown it. I think you're right with, with Christian Watson. I I think he's going a little bit too high because people want to buy that there's somebody that's going to emerge there. I think it's going to be more of a spread out thing. And I could still see Green Bay going to the, the veteran route, bringing in Odell Beckham, bringing in a Julio Jones, bringing in a Will Fuller, somebody like that to kind of add to Alan Lazard and just kind of spread it out amongst those guys. Uh, so I'm right there with you. If we kind of turn this to some round two, round three trends, I think the the one right off the bat that I've been seeing, and I know, Jeff, I'm going to bring it over to you, is where Wondell Robinson is falling, to me, is just baffling. And I and I don't get it. I didn't understand last year with Kadarius Tony, and that was round one draft capital, but, you know, different draft, but the Wanda Robinson one this year is this has been a guy that actually was like a Debbie darling. He has been in the spotlight for a while. He did make a big impact in college. He had elite production last year at Kentucky, his first year as a wide receiver in the sec. And he's rarely goes in round two. And I feel like he should be in that mix right there, right after George Pickens, he should be in the mix with guys like Alec Pearson and, and and, uh, John Mechie and, you know, Rashad white. If we bring the running backs into the mix and the rest of the running backs, he should be right there in that mix, in my opinion. And that's where I'll draft him in any opportunity that I get. I, I, I just, I just don't get it. Right. He's the same height as Rondell Moore, who was going late round one, early round two, He's a better football player. He's a he was a better collegiate player. He had better production than than Rondell Moore, who had one good year in college, and it wasn't his last year. It was his first year. I don't get it. He's one inch shorter than Elijah Moore. There's so many things with the draft capital, the investment by the the Giants in him. Uh, I, I'm blown away where he's going in these drafts. Uh, some other things that have stood out in that round: Tyler Algier on the flip side 
it's like people are acting like he was a day two running back pick in terms of how high they're pushing him up the board because of the opportunity there. Uh, but yeah, he might have a role this year, but are we sure that's not just it? A guy that this year and then they go out and invest next year. You know, I, I think that can be the case. So those are the two things that stand out the most for me that, that I've seen is high, 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 how highly people think of Tyler Algier and how low they think of Wondell Robinson. So Jeff, I, I know you wanted to get some Wondell Robinson take, uh, takes off. Uh, kind yeah, of I'm just going to stand on my share that right, and go right and now. go. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's I'm, I'm pulling out my soapbox right now. Um, all right. Well, maybe just to explain kind of what I'm seeing, why I'm seeing it. There's this cluster, not only some of those day two running backs like Rashad white, but day three running backs pushing their way in there as well. The Samir white, Isaiah Spiller, Tyler Algier, Damian Pierce, you know, sometimes Tyrion Davis price, you know, joins Rashad white. And, and just that's a bulk of, six running backs right there that you know people i guess are really thirsty for we know it's not a great running back class um but i think people are trying to throw their dart there and letting some insane value fall and so let me just like you know players i've seen go ahead of wandale jalen tolbert all of my drafts tyler algier all of my drafts keontae ingram in over half of my drafts, I've seen him go over Wandale Robinson. I've seen Hassan Haskins, Kyron Williams. I've seen Justin Ross and Khalil Shakir as wide receivers go ahead of Wandale Robinson. I have seen Sam Howell go ahead of Wandale Robinson in a Superflex league. I've seen Kenny Pickett go ahead of Wandale Robinson in a one quarterback league. I just, you know, I really don't know. I have gotten Wandale Robinson in every single rookie draft I've been in. And it's mostly because he's still on the board and I don't know how far he will fall because at some point he's there and I'm just like, I can take this pick for pennies. I, I just was able to draft him in what, you know, my last sort of early rookie draft that's wrapping up. Um, it's a 14 team league. I was, the runner-up, I'm picking out the 13th pick. So I, I traded the 13th pick in the third round, the 41st pick in the draft, and my third next year as a contender. So this is basically two fourth-round picks to go pick Wandale Robinson up after he fell into the third round at the 30th pick. I got him as the 30th offensive player in an IDP draft um, and a 32nd offensive player in an IDP draft You know, in the mid-fourth round. I, I just, I really don't know how, if you're at all, just even a little bit interested in in him as a player, I don't know how you can't just have him on a ton of fantasy teams because every, it just seems like he's being fade across the board. <laughs> um, so that's my little soapbox. I, I just, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully I'll have a hundred percent exposure by the end of, uh, by the end of the summer. Um, you know, the other one I'll I'll kind of, you know, mention that I've I've had to make the decision between Wandale and, and Trey McBride a few times. Um I've been able to get them both sometimes. <laughs> um, but Trey McBride, I think, you know, he he's it's not the greatest tight end class. I know, you know, Paul's had sort of his his opinions that's been kind of a bucket of tier two tight ends, no tier one tight ends. And maybe it's a landing spot, but you know, I think 
we're, we don't expect tight ends to break out year one anyways. And I think, uh, you know, while I love, love the values of Bellinger and Aconquo, um, you know, I, I think when McBride starts falling to the end of the second round in tight end premium leagues, it's just one of those ones where it screams value to me as well. And um, instead of, you know, when I see Justin Ross go in the third round, I mean, love the player Justin Ross, love what tantalizing upside he could be, but an under- You watch your tongue, free- Jeff. Well, <laughs> it just- your, um, You watch your tongue about Justin Ross. Well, I, I had him as a target, you know, for, for all of my drafts. I had him as, I wanted to pick him up in, in some of the last rounds of all of my draft and stash him on my taxi squad, you know, and just- see him develop as a player in an, a really good environment, but he's coming off the board in the third round in all of the drafts that I'm in. And so it's just something bargain, that Jeff, bargain. Yeah. Bargain. <laughs> I mean, I would, here you go, Matt, would, would, you, right, take, right. would you take no, Justin no, Ross over Wandale Robinson? Cause that's, I mean, I've seen no, that and it's, no, just, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't. And, and I love if healthy Justin Ross, everything yeah. coming in, no, no issue. Yeah. I mean, but you're right. hundred percent. Yeah, and just, you know, I see Justin Ross going high. I see Kyron Williams going high. I've seen Keontae Ingram going high. And I think, you know, part of this is, you know, in my opinion, I think we're seeing some, you know, pre-draft take lock of, you know, with guys like Kyron Williams, you know, and not adjusting appropriately. Maybe a little bit of that for Justin Ross too. And and some landing spots like Tyler Algier, Justin Ross, Keontae Ingram, you know, people just kind of maybe taking a stab at, a path to playing time, which I'm all for. I, I think uh, trying to get a little bit of an immediate bump in year one and, and maybe kind of shuffling that around to, you know, a player that you liked on a ta- as a talent who you're trying to be patient for. I, I think that's a great strategy. I'm just, you know, personally more willing to just go get the talented player that I want who, when getting, when he earns the opportunity, because that's what's going to happen is if you're given the opportunity some talented player is going to come around sooner or later and take it from you. If you're a talented player and you've earned the opportunity, you're going to break out and be a star. Yeah. I mean, I I think when people do some of these crazy things like Justin Ross or Keontae Ingram over a second round wide receiver, to me, it's almost like a little bit of a level of arrogance. That's like, you think, you know, more than the NFL and maybe, and listen, I, w- I was on record last year saying I thought it was lunacy that everybody that that people were taking him on Ross St. Brown over round one, round two guys. So maybe people are feeling bold after that kind of worked out last year. But that is the rare, rare, rare minority. That is the rare, tiny outlier. For every Amon Ross St. Brown, there is probably 25 players that people have a an attraction to from their heavy leagues or they've been infatuated with for years. But then the NFL tells him the NFL comes out and says, we don't really like that guy. Right. That's why he's being drafted in round day three or round four, or round five. You know, there's something about him, but people can't get past that. So yeah. Could you get, could, could people who are doing these things 
Could they luck into another Amon Ross St. Brown situation? Yeah, you could, but that but fantasy football is also about playing the odds and, and playing the probability game. And the probability is that a round two wide receiver is going to be a much better investment than a round four running back or something like that, or a round four wide receiver or an undrafted wide receiver. So that's what that that's what kind of surprises me that people don't just play the odds a little bit and realize just how much draft capital means in opportunity, the longevity you get and that, uh, you know, so I'm really intrigued by that. And when it comes to Wondell Robinson, like we've seen Matt's boy, Hunter Renfro turn into a star. We, you know, we've seen Cole Beasley became a really functional player. We've seen Randall Cobb from the same school become a fantasy asset. So who's to say, why can't Wondell Robinson be that? We all assumed Rondell Moore was going to be this high-level impact player. And a year later, we're, everybody's out on, on, on Wondell Robinson, who was a better collegiate player in every facet than Rondell Moore. It, it's really baffling to kind of wrap your head around it. Matt, thoughts on Wondell Robinson before we kind of wrap up uh, these rookie trends? No, I, I love Wandale Robinson, and I love him as a player. And he stood out to me the first time I saw him on the field coming out of high school in the Under Armour All-American game. He was the guy I left the game saying, I want that dude in my drafts. And anywhere I was able to get him, I did. And, you know, it provided those leagues actually lasted long enough for me to actually acquire his abilities. Um, I, I was on that train. I was on that train. and I And I wanted him because... I felt like, you know, his skill set was what the NFL is is going to be, which is we're just getting the ball in people's hands. We're, you know, not to not to go old school and we're going to we were matriculating the ball down the field. That's all we care about. Um, we don't really care how the ball moves down the field as long as it gets down the field into the end zone and we score. That is mission number one, goal number one of every offensive coordinator in the history of the game. I think to your points though, and I think this is something, you know, not to go off the rails here, but it's something that I'm working on personally. And you guys out there know that I always, I always kind of bring a little of that. I'm always working on things and I really want to get better as a human being. I'm trying to, to do that in a lot of ways, a lot of introspection. And I realize that a lot of the, 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 the times that I have struggles with things and it's going to sound worse than it really is, but I think it's a, a fair point is I let ego get in the way. I let my perceptions of others or I let the the expectations of others, you know, limit my own authenticity in situations. And that's something that I think, you know, I struggle with at times. And, I, and I'm working really hard to make those changes in my life. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is because I think that as fantasy football players, I think we want to, we want, to make the big move for we want to know that we had that winning card, that we saw something that nobody else did. And you know what? It's a hard thing to see. And it's, and it's hard to live like that. I did that a lot as a fantasy owner for a long time. And you know how many championships I had to show for it, you know, and it's not because I didn't have some hits and misses, but I do think it was because I was interested in personally just having, having the player. Right, knowing that I I saw the diamond in the rough, it doesn't matter if I went through fifty million rocks to get there. I found it, and I owned it, and I'm happy about it. Well, I think that we have to balance that a little bit in our approaches. And I think when it comes to player analysis and talent, 
you know, I think we have to honor the idea that, you know, the NFL has changed. Players and their values are definitely tied to the draft. And we have to acknowledge that even though that may not be commiserate with the talent level of the prospect, it still says something about the team's perception of their talent level, which indicates their usage potentially on the field. And opportunity is the mother of success in football and fantasy football. You need the opportunity to grow. So I leave that there just as a kind of an overarching sentiment um, overall. And I think Wandale Robinson is a guy that I, I want to get everywhere, everywhere I can. I think he's going to be absolutely a player that they're going to explore the usage of in a variety of ways. Like I said, Brian Dable has complete carte blanche to do what he wants this year. And I think he's going to use it to figure out what his roster for next year is going to be to start the year. And then you'll see steps forward in terms of overall production. Hey, Matt, yeah, since, I, we're, since we're off the rails, can I just like take us farther off the rails? Because I love <laughs> what Matt said there, and I want to unpack it even more. Because, we're, we're, I don't even think we're in the – we're not well, even – We're in the bushes. We're, we're, on, we're on the rough. We're, we're in a plane of existence right now. Yeah. You're, well, you and I are here. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you talk about like diamond in the rough, right? Finding it and calling it. And, and it almost sounds like we're doing that to Wandale, right? Like we're saying he's our diamond in the rough. That's that's the one pitch I'm swinging at, you know, and I'm I'm going to – you know, I think the part of the reason we're talking about him now um, so often, week to week to week, is to say that he's not getting the attention he deserves. It's not that we're picking one pitch to swing at. We're saying that we get, you know, by taking a swing at Wandale Robinson in the third round of your rookie draft, you can take a swing at Jahan Dotson earlier. You could take a swing at, you know, Trey McBride or George Pickens and, you know, just Trade trade back a few picks, pick up that third round pick, and get another swing at Wandale Robinson. And I love this too because part of this is you, you tie this in with ego, and who's some of the most egotistical people in the sports world is uh, you know your NFL football head coaches, right? You know they're going to be doing this same thing. They they think they found a diamond in the rough. They selected them early in the draft. They want they're attached to that. Right. So so you're playing off of their ego a little bit as well. Right. They're going to get that opportunity. You know, I'm a big like Isaiah McKenzie fan, too, but he's not going to get the same opportunity as Khalil Shakir, who that's their guy. That's who they, you know, attach their wagon to. So um, I I think we play in both of that. But but just one final thought, too, because, you know, you mentioned that. Wandale Robinson is is sort of the direction that the NFL is going. And I mean, you just have to look at who's who are the breakout players over the last couple of years. Like, I mean, Cooper Cup does not fit your definition of a Calvin Johnson-like wide receiver one overall, right? But there he is, just almost breaking Jerry Rice's records. Um, you know, Debo Samuel, you know, second best wide receiver last year for your fantasy teams, you know, playing running back half the time. So, you know, that's where the NFL is going. And so you can't apply the same type of filters that you used to apply when you're trying to, you know, evaluate your prospects. You know, Paul mentioned it. He's an inch shorter than Elijah Moore and the same height as Rondale Moore. Like, you know, people say he can't succeed because he's too short. Well, 
you know, if he can't succeed in 1990, maybe because he's too short and he's going to get physically knocked around and, and can't, you know, play this ISO sideline ball that was sort of the rage, but he can, he can certainly succeed in today's NFL. He's got, there's plenty of people, you know, who have shown playmaking ability flash flashes with that same style skill set that all it takes is a coach willing to get a little bit creative progress the game a little bit further each and every year, each and every time, you know, and we'll see new breakouts. Yeah. And it's not like he wasn't productive in college. I mean, in the sec with every defense knowing he was the focal point of the offense. And I think as fantasy owners, you gotta be flexible. Like, you know, I didn't think Wendell Robinson was going to go where he did. He was my seventh wide receiver. I went on the Harris football podcast in addition to all the times at Saturday, Sunday. And I was talking about, I have him really high, but I know he's not going to go that high in the NFL. And I wouldn't have taken him. I wouldn't be considering him in the second round if he would have went in the fourth round, right? That I just wouldn't have. And, but because he went in the second round as early as he did, I think we I think the people who weren't fans of him, obviously someone like myself who was a fan of him is going to definitely be interested in the second round. Cause that's what I kind of thought he should have been, but I just didn't think the NFL agreed, but the NFL did end up agreeing. So that's where I think he does belong in, in rookie drafts. And on the flip side of it, the, the, but I always come back to this Calvin Harmon, when he came out with my number one wide receiver, I loved him. And he had a lot of people who liked him. But I think I was probably at the top of the Calvin Harmon fan club. I saw a lot of Hakeem Nicks. I thought he could have been a really impactful player. And then you know what happened? The NFL said, you know what? We don't like Calvin Harmon. We don't even like him a little bit. He's going to be a round six pick. I didn't own him in one league that year because there were still other fans of Calvin Harmon who liked him and invested a second round or third round rookie pick in Calvin Harmon. And I wasn't willing to pull the trigger to the fourth round for like a round six wide receiver. You have to be, get those pre-draft locks and those pre-draft takes uh, added there, you know, when you're making your rookie picks. And I think that's so important uh, not to be so fixated on what we think in terms of uh, more what the NFL thinks. So to, to close out shop tonight, let's do a little rapid fire in terms of, favorite rookies based on we think they're in pristine ideal perfect schematic fits let's take the depth chart stuff out of it let's take even what we maybe thought of them as a player out of it just based on rookie and schematic fit who are some guys that we think are maybe in the most perfect situation for their talent level and maybe in the right scheme, right coach, right fit to pull it out of them. Jeff, let me bring uh, you in first on this. Is there, You got one guy that you, or, or two quick ones uh, that, that you really like the prospect schematic fit marriage. Yeah. So, you know, well, I, there's two names I, I wanted to highlight. You know, one is David Bell, the other is Kennedy Brooks. And, and they're going to kind of be slightly different spots of your draft, slightly different uh, spots of the NFL draft, right? Kennedy Brooks, undrafted free agent, but he's going to a place. So when it comes to undrafted free agents and what I expect him to do on an NFL level, I really, there's really only a few that I'm pretty excited you know, as far as landing spots go, you know, you need a track record of being able to use these guys. And Philadelphia has a track record of 
getting production out of late round picks and UDFAs. So so he landed in in a spot where if he shows his talent, they'll put him on the field. And if he gets on the field, he's going to be running behind a top end O line. He's uh, he's got a dual threat quarterback to put defenders, you know, in a bind when they're trying to, def- you know, they're trying to defend, you know, RPOs, you know, to get a defend edge, you know, they're in conflict and, you know, there's running backs who can't take advantage of that. You know, they'll run to daylight and they'll run right into that defender's, you know, arms, but Kennedy Brooks is smart enough you know, to be able to read leverage, to read what a defense this is doing, to read how they're moving frame by frame out of position and what to do with the football, what to do with his feet to get into the right position to punish them. So, you know, he's he's not an explosive athlete, but I could see him averaging five yards a carry because he'll be so good at getting through a line with a good O-line and and defenders in conflict that I think he could just be churn out productive yards over and over and over again. It's not the cleanest depth chart, but, you know, they're possibly marching towards the end of Miles Sanders, uh, you know, time there on a rookie deal. Probably not, you know, he hasn't really shown that he's worth a big payday. I know uh, Matt absolutely loves Gainwell, but uh, they they exist in different uh, in different talents, right? Like they they can coexist in a backfield together really well. So Kennedy Brooks, guy I really like. He's one of those ones I'm throwing. If I if Justin Ross isn't there in the fifth round, sixth round for me, Kennedy Brooks is the guy. One of those guys I'm throwing that dart out to see if he pops. And then David Bell. I mean, I think he's gotten a lot of love. People see him out there. I think he's just a talented player who doesn't blow you away athletically. It's kind of a similar theme. He's refined, right? He knows what he's doing. He knows how to he knows how to get open at the right time for his quarterback and he could get his mitts on the ball and he could be a trusted possession receiver. And he just happened to land in a place that lost Jarvis Landry and needs a possession receiver. I mean, they brought in Amari Cooper, but he's probably fitting closer to what Odell was doing for that that team in that offense, right? And Jarvis Landry he was the one who was having better fantasy weeks week in week out consistently, you know, instead of Odell there. I mean, maybe that was a little bit Baker. There's a lot to kind of talk about with Deshaun Watson or, or maybe we shouldn't talk about it. Cause, um, but I think bell will fill a pretty key role for the, for the offense that Stefanski is trying to run over there. Yeah. I think those are two really good ones. Kenny Brooks was a guy that I know, uh, Matt Waldman's a big fan of when I had Wes Huber on here from fantasy points, he was a big fan of, you know, so the, he has, a, he has his fans in, in the, in the film community as well. Uh, and yeah, I think you're right. Boston Scott, Kenny Gainwell, they're different style players. So it's really Miles Sanders. And if you saw Miles Sanders go down the first week of the season, I, I could see Kenny Brooks immediately becoming part of that backfield if he makes the team because he is a different type of player than those other two guys. And then David Bell, if people understand, he's not David Bell, the guy that dominated on the outside in college football. But if you realize who David Bell is in terms of what he could be at the NFL level, 
I think you hit it perfectly. He could be the perfect replacement for what Jarvis Landry provided there as that big slot guy. I think that's where David Bell is going to find success at the next level. Matt, a couple of quick uh, hitters here on some scheme fit pl- prospect marriages that you love. Yeah, I think I think Jeff Justin Ross won't be there. He'll be taken in the second round by me. Um, <laughs> so I think Justin Ross will not be available to you in the fifth round. You won't be able to slow play that. Um, no, all, all kidding aside, I think the guys that I would be targeting here. Um, I think, again, I'll, I'll say it, this is probably no joke. Um, we said Wandale like 30,000 times, so I won't go there. But to me, George Pickens is a guy that I'm going after. I love the scheme. I like the fit. I like the organization. I like their track record with wide receivers, yada, yada, yada. I think it's self-explanatory. I think George Pickens is a guy you're getting. Paul, since you piggybacked me in episode 500 to get a, a feel for my draft tendencies – because I know that's what you did. Um, I will be probably considering George Pickens as early as pick number four, so I don't miss out on him. That's how crazy I am about him. So talk about his ADP skyrocketing. You're welcome. Um, After that, um, the next guy is James Cook. I love everything about James Cook in terms of landing spot, feel, right. He's probably the best running back to probably take outside of the major guys in this class. I think he's the guy I want. I think his versatility as a receiver an overall scheme that he's going to be in. We've seen the ability uh, for that team, specifically Buffalo, to utilize that horizontal stretch as an offensive component to their abilities. Like, you know, the Isaiah McKenzie's, the Cole Beasley's, they like horizontal stretching. They don't have a guy that's necessarily slotted for that role immediately. They could, I could envision, you know, that dual player being James Cook. And there's, you know, kind of whispers that he already showed in that capacity a little bit right now. And the last player I'll throw out there, and I'm, and this is probably me being thick-headed, but I just really appreciate his talent. I think for me, the, the, the running back I'm going to grab, if I can't get any of the guys that are the hot names, um, this guy is still, still hot, but probably on the little bit lower temperature. I'm going to go Brian Robinson here. And I like Brian Robinson because I don't know the commitment level to um, – you know, Antonio Gibson anymore. And if Ron Rivera is going to really do what he did with the Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams tandem, if he really is going to split those carries, if he's going to look at it that way, um, then I could see a world where, you know, Brian Robinson is a legitimate, you know, running back two, three, or, you know, latter end of that, where he's, you know, comparable, he's used, you can use him as a flex. You know, I like Brian Robinson as a talent. I think he's more versatile than we give him credit for. And I think he went to Alabama where everybody is an alien or a mutant at the position. So, I mean, he's not exactly light on the heels either. He's like 6'2", correct? So, I mean, we're not talking about a, a small dude. I mean, he's a he's an alien in his own right. So, I, I think Brian Robinson, George Pickens, as well as James Cook, those would be my guys that I would be kind of making sure I left my draft with if I could. Matt, I thought you were going to say Jerome Ford. I know you're a big Jerome Ford fan, oh, and we I, glossed I love, over I him. Love yeah, we glossed. We we missed it because uh, we we had to skip some of our late round, higher than drafted, lower than drafted targets. But he's one of those guys that, like Kennedy Brooks, um, you know, snatching out at the end of drafts and could see a a mega roll, uh, come year two when you know Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson might not be on that roster anymore, but I, I do take offense. Buffalo does have a great horizontal stretch 
Uh, you missed that it's Isaiah, Isaiah McKenzie Day on Twitter. I, I'll I'll forgive you. You know, I, you, you work hard. You're, you're a yeah. teacher. But it's Isaiah McKenzie Day on Twitter. So, you know, you got to send a little love that way. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I, I'm telling you. I, I, I'll say it again. I think that this is the, the big thing I would leave this show with, and I hope everybody does. It's something that really impacted me tonight, which is, again, I got to take inventory of myself and stay present and make sure that, you know, every time I'm doing something fantasy football, otherwise, again, how does everybody feel about themselves right now? <laughs> everybody okay? Would you like to talk about this? I'm here for you. Okay. So, no, I, I think that honestly, I think that I do have to remain present when I'm doing all these drafts. Think about these things and remember that, you know, I had an opinion. The coaches had an opinion and I have to reconcile that the best way I can to make the best decision I can and not afford one too many things as the other. Well, I would love to see Isaiah McKenzie, you know, be the Wandale Robinson in, in Buffalo because I think yeah he's gotten a little camp buzz too. You know, he's apparently the fastest player on the field. But I'd still have to say, you know, if you're going to tell me who's going to factor into their plans more, they've had him for four years. And, you know, when they've needed him, he's stepped up for them. And then every time after that, they've moved on and, and incorporated other players in there. So if you're going to ask me what the coaches are telling us they're going to do, they're telling us they're going to use James Cook. Yeah, and I'll jump in right there. And, you know, I think one thing people don't realize is Devin Singletary is ran, I think I heard the stat was the he ran the fourth most routes of any running back last year. And the truth be told is Devin Singletary is a terrible pass-catching running back. He wasn't good at it in college. He's had to do it as a more of a necessity than based on his skill. So I think they have big, big plans for James Cook. I think people are underselling James Cook because they threw out there the, you know, J.D. McKissick role. I think he's going to play the J.D. McKissick role and then some. So I, I just think people are a little bit selling him short. I could see him easily carrying the ball eight or nine times a game and then also get the, the pass work on top of that. So I, I think I really like that one. The George Pickens one, Matt, that you brought up, I think he – especially if they move on from Chase Claypool in a year. I mean, he could be, become that true vertical X wide receiver that we've seen have success uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, and then Jerome Ford, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. I still think is not inconceivable. I don't think it's likely, but if you told me, give me a surprise trade during training camp, I wouldn't be stunned if Cleveland looks at it as let's get something for Kareem Hunt right now. We think with the Ernest Johnson and Jerome Ford, we don't lose much in terms of the present year. And especially, you mentioned it before, especially if this year is going nowhere, if the if Deshaun Watson suspension is the year or indefinitely or whoever knows how long it is. What's the point of keeping Kareem Hunt there then this year? Maybe a team gives you a third round pick for him, right? And then all of a sudden that opens the door now for Jerome Ford to potentially be in the mix right now and then even more so next year. So I think that's an interesting late uh, a late stash because I was a big fan of him on, on film as well. And and my two scheme fits real quick, I'll say Rashad White. And it's more even so the it's not even so much the scheme or the coaching fit. It's the Tom Brady fit for year one. Tom Brady loves passing to his running backs. He's always looking for them. Rashad White, besides James Cook, was the best receiver uh, running back in this class. 
but he also has more of a prototype to maybe be a, a, a regular contributor in terms of the run game as well. But I love the schematic fit there in terms of what Rashad White can be, especially if Chris Godwin is a little slow to kind of get going this year. I could really see Tom Brady maximizing Rashad White. Now, again, he's got to be able to protect and, and pass protect, and that might keep Giovanni Bernard out there or keep Leonard Fournette out there doing more than they probably want him to do. But if Rashad White can get caught up to speed in terms of pass protection, he could be a guy that Tom Brady really takes advantage of. I mean, we've seen him, James White, go 80 catches, right? 90 catches. You know, Rashad White has a more natural, talented skill set than a guy like James White in terms of pass catching ability. So I love that fit. And then the other one, we talked about him negatively or, or the negative reports in, at a training camp, and I still wouldn't have traded A.J. Brown. But schematically, I love the fit for Traylon Burks in that Tennessee offense. He's not a refined player right now. They brought in a refined runner in in Robert Woods in terms of his route running. That's the refined route runner on their team right now. Traylon Burks is going to be the same way they developed A.J. Brown year one. That's what they're going to do with Traylon Burks. Quick hitters, play action, quick slants. Wide receiver screens, they're not going to, I don't think they're going to put much on the plate of Traylon Burks in year one, and they shouldn't because he's not ready for that. But if you put him in that role where teams are going to have to respect Derrick Henry, who apparently is looking great off of his, off of his injury, and, and the way Tennessee plays, I think Traylon Burks, even if he only is really good at a couple things year one, still could be an impactful player as he's refining and expanding his game because they're not going to ask him to run a detailed route tree year one, and they're not going to need him to. He's going to be the guy they look to get the ball into right away. Those quick slants and wide receiver screens, the bubble screens, the stuff off of play action that gets him the ball in some space and then let him do his work after the catch where he's at his best right now. So I really like the Traylon Burks schematic fit there in Tennessee as well. So there it is, guys, our rookie check-in. We kind of really hit upon a lot of different things tonight from dynasty rookie draft trends to schematic fits in terms of that we really like, and then also a little stock report up up down based on some OTA and minicamp news, uh, you know, and what's been out there. Hopefully you're enjoying this guys. If you're enjoying our content, it is still not too late to get over to the website, ssfootball.com and check out the premium notebooks and the premium content tab. You still got a lot of information that would be very relevant for the rest of the summer uh, as you're getting ready for your, you know, the next wave of, your dynasty leagues, your, your redraft leagues, just lo- learning about these rookies, uh, your Devi leagues. There's so much information in the notebooks that could still be viable. You can get it all for $9.99. Been updating my rookie rankings regularly. Devi rankings are updated to the last week or so. My overall dynasty rankings are fully updated. A lot of information still very relevant in those notebooks uh, throughout the summer. It is the best way to support the show and help us to continue to do what we are doing uh if you can't check out the premium content notebooks please wherever you listen to the podcast rate review subscribe make sure you're downloading it we need those downloads if you're checking us out on youtube make sure you're subscribing to the channel uh as well there jeff let me bring it over to you first any final parting shots before i send it over to matt yeah hit that alert so that when we go live again you get that notification to your phone you could just tune in and chill in the comments and you know Get interact with us. Um, one 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 final thought for y'all. Uh, go Warriors. Go Warriors. 
Yeah, they might they might put this up. They might put this away tonight. I don't I don't kind of I kind of thought Boston might uh, take this one and then Warriors would finish it off in Game Seven, but uh, the Warriors might uh, have other plans uh, tonight in terms of that. As we're recording this on Thursday night, they're in Game Six of the NBA Finals. Matt, any final parting shots tonight? Yeah, no. I to echo the same things, guys. Smash that like button, download, subscribe. Make sure you're tuning into us. Follow us on Twitter. Um, I could tell you now that, like we said, episode 500 is is probably a, a game changer. There's a lot of things that we're going to be trying. There are a lot of things we're excited about. Lots of talks in the backgrounds about, you know, just creative ways to, to kind of create content that's maybe a little different than what you're seeing out there. Um, like tried to solve life problems tonight. Like that was a part of our show. So if you want to have another sit down on the couch with me, I'm happy to, you know, sit there and we could talk about my problems or your problems and we all can have fun there um but this summer uh paul's right we are going to be looking to you know the summer seminar series will be back uh the 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 title of the series is going to be the state of the game where we're going to be looking at you know the actual state of american football where are we in all different viewpoints from yes from madden football all the way up to coaching education across the board we're going to really try to go 360 with this thing some exciting guests and um you know, I think it's just a great way for all of us as fans and as analysts to get a little bit of uh, professional development, <laughs> because if we're if we're not if we're not learning, we're not living. So, you know what? Let's just keep moving in the right direction. I'm excited for everything. Um, this was a blast. Absolutely, guys. Make sure uh, you are checking in. We have a lot of great podcasts. Uh in the near future coming. Uh, so make sure you're checking out. I have lined up a lot of significant guests over the next couple of weeks. So really excited to get some of the best in the business to pick their brain about these rookies as well as we kind of hit the low period of the NFL, uh, you know, about six weeks or so before training camps kind of kick into high gear. But we here at Saturday Sunday will continue to be rolling through getting you ready and getting you everything you need to know about this rookie class before we kind of transition over into the seminar series, into the dynasty, uh, you know, rankings talk, and then into the scouting portion of getting you ready for the next wave of prospects uh, for the 2023 NFL draft. So on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of Matt and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.